If you're going to um, sing some of those old hymns, or if you're going to uh, read Shakespeare or an old King James Bible, most appropriately spoken by a Brit, thank you, <laughs> uh, read by a Brit, um, there are some strange things in there like uh, Fs and Fs and that kind of stuff. And if you understand most European languages, you'll know there's case sensitivity. And in that case sensitivity, I would go, you go est, and we go eth. So if it's an ST on the end, it's second person. If it's an eth, it's third person. So it actually tells you who you're talking to and who you're, who's being spoken to and where it's coming from and that kind of stuff. So that's where it comes from. And uh, ye just means plural. So ye, you, you all. And these, I'm talking to you singular. So there's a little hint when you're reading something old. And why is there? What's that all about? Uh, dost and all that kind of stuff. That's actually what it's about. I go, you go est, we go eth. So now you learned something today, right? Uh, Lauren pointed out that the pictures I got from the slides humorously came from the, a Mormon movie. Uh, I got them from freebibleimages.com, so anyway. <laughs> repurposed for the glory of God, right? Anyway, there you go. So uh, talk on the slides. Um, are we on? Are we we're functional? Did not turn it on. Okay, but projector, is the projector? Oh, there we go. Okay, apparently I'm skipping through. There. Okay. I just want to go through the, the verses, just as stuff popped up to me, and I just want to share it with you guys, and uh, I'll warn you, I've got premeditated rabbit trails. And I did that with uh, different colored slides, so you could tell when I'm rabbit trailing. I, I, I like the rabbit trail, so as you probably know. So they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the Hall of Judgment, and what really popped to me was that one day, Jesus is the one in the Hall of Judgment. So the Jews are leading him there, and, and of course the idea is that they're leading him there to, as Caiaphas had said, we, we, I think it was the, when Lauren was preaching, um, that he was the one that said that it's expedient for one man to die for all the people. And so, anyway, it's interesting that that one man will sit on the throne of judgment one day, and all of them will be before him. So, anyway, I just think that's very interesting. Um, yeah, so the Jew first and also the Greek. Um, God has a pattern, right? He does things in patterns. And so the Jews, from last sermon... Uh, are trying him. Caiaphas tries him. Uh, Annas gets to see him first. Caiaphas tries him. He goes before all the elders, and he's going before all these Jews, right? And then they send him off to the Gentiles. And I thought it was very interesting just seeing that little bit of pattern there because God says he's sending the gospel to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. And I thought, isn't it interesting how Jesus' own trial is actually following a pattern that God laid out? So anyway, I thought that was very cool. So, and it was uh, early, and they themselves went not into the hall of judgment, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Oops. Um, where am I at? So, yes, the Jew first. I'm ahead of my slides. <laughs> uh, when you read in Exodus, Exodus uh, 25 talks about how to make the tabernacle. And notice it says the words, the pattern. So it was told to make it after the pattern of the tabernacle. I'm going to keep my hand still again. Pattern of the tabernacle. And I'll just do it this way. 
pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments, and then again in verse 40 after their pattern. So I just like to point this out because God is a God of order. Like he orders things in our lives. He orders uh, our whole salvation. And he does things by patterns. And three times in, in Exodus 25, Moses is told, build this by the pattern. Incidentally, of the tabernacle that he saw in heaven. Here's the picture. Here's the thing. Build it like this. And so God does things in patterns. And there we, we see to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Whoops. I keep going beyond. I might need your help there, uh, Lauren. Whoops. It's just too, fu- too sensitive in the clicks. Um, yeah, so the, the heavenly things are shadows of what... Or, oh, sorry, the things that are now are shadows of heavenly things. So the tabernacle they made in the wilderness was a tabernacle of heaven. And the things that God orders in our lives right now are shadows of what's coming. And shadows of the big things in heaven. So um, you can see in Hebrews, Hebrews 8 and Hebrews 10... Both of them are referring to like the tabernacle was literally built uh, as, uh, in a sort of a scale model, a replica in terms of what is heavenly. So um, in our lives, the Holy Ghost is working in us and he's operating by patterns and in order, not in confusion, right? Not in chaos. He's doing everything by order. I'm just going to try it this way. Click. There we go. So the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. Uh, this is the color of the rabbit trail, by the way. A man's heart devises his own way, but the Lord directeth his steps. And our Lord Jesus, his very steps are being directed right now, going before Pilate and then on the road to the cross, right, up to Calvary. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. He's an author, isn't he? God wrote a book. 66 books all become one book. He's an author, and he's an author of order and patterns and not of confusion. It's of peace. And uh, what was Jesus called? He's a prince of peace. He's a prince of peace. So everything happening here, uh, just remember, God has that all in order. Jesus going before uh, and dying on the cross was ordained from before the foundation of the world. In fact, there's a verse that says he was crucified before the foundation of the world. So all this is in place for our salvation well ahead of time, right? Before time, actually. So Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's an author. He writes our faith. He's the author of our salvation. So all the while he's going to the cross, he's writing down our names in the book of life, right? He dies for us so that we don't have to, and he raises up so that we can also be raised up with him, right? So he's the author of life, author of our salvation. Incidentally, if you see the word authority, author is part of that word, is it not? Author, authority, who's got the authority? The creator of the world has all authority, right? So he, uh, he taught uh, having authority, not as one of the scribes. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All, author- all power is um, given unto me in heaven and in earth. He has all that control. So while he's standing before Pilate, who's you know prestigious and I've, I, I am uh, the governor, right? He's standing there and he is being meek. He's not, you know, 
flex in his arms and saying, I'm going to pull up my authority. And he actually does say to, to, to Pilate, unless it were given to you by God, you'd have no authority to do this. So he's the one that has the authority, and yet he's still submitting to those uh, earthly leaders. So, and he is the very word of God. He's the author of our lives, and he's the very word of God. So words are written, right? Okay, so Jesus is the word. I'm just going to skip past this. All things were created by him. Okay, we're back on track now. See, red, back on track. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall. Jesus will sit on a higher throne, and all will bow the knee before him. Um, I'll just get past this, actually. I was, uh, remember you said 1.30 in the morning, I was finishing all, all my slides at 2 o'clock in the morning one night, so I'm, I'm going to skip probably past a few of them. <laughs> uh, are you in the faith? Do you believe? It's important for each one of us to ask that question, right? Everybody ought to ask, am I in the faith? See, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. What is faith? I could, I could go with interaction if you guys. What is faith? Yeah. It's a substance that things hope for or things not seen. Hebrews 11.1. 1. That's right. So, are you in the faith? Do you have hope? What is our hope? Our hope is in Jesus Christ's death for us, paying the price for our sins, and that he resurrected, and that he's coming again to collect his bride, right? He's coming again for us. So then faith cometh by hearing, hearing the word of God. He's the author, and he's written his book for us, for salvation. Or he's the author of salvation, and it's the gospel. It's the, the word of God. It's reading our Bible that gives us faith, right? If you're not reading your Bible daily, how big can your faith be, right? If you're not hiding God's word in your heart regularly, then your faith is not going to be strong, but if you can keep putting God's word into your heart, then it's like building bricks up on a wall. Remember when they got out of the exile in Nehemiah? Uh, what, are they, what are they building up? What's priority in the city of Jerusalem? Building up a wall of defense, right? They had a sword in one hand. What does that represent? Yeah, spirit. The, the, the sword of the spirit is the word of God, right? So they got sword in one hand, and they're laying down bricks on the other, and those bricks, really, they're just the precepts of God that you just keep laying to, to put up a defense. I really am sidetracking. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Fearing the Lord. Do you fear the Lord? You ought to. We all ought to, because... The man, Christ Jesus, who is before Pilate right now, he's submitting to Pilate, but one day he will sit on that judgment seat and we're all going to be before him. Right? A throne was set in heaven and one that sat on the throne. Who's that one? Who's sitting on the throne? See, John saw a picture in Revelation of Jesus sitting on a throne. How do we know it's Jesus that's sitting on that throne? 
Because John himself said more than once, no man hath seen God at any time. So he was not referring to the Father because he wasn't able to see the Father. He's talking about Jesus Christ. So that man, again, that's standing before Pilate, before human authority, will one day judge everybody. Right? Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right before that throne, everybody's going to go down on their knee and whether they like it or not, declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Remember the, the um, man with the devils in him? They go across the sea, and then there's the devils in the man in the legion, and uh, they all say, thou art, you know, what, what hast thou to do with us, thou son of, of God, a son of the Most High God, actually. This is Jesus, thou son of the Most High God. They knew exactly who he was, and they declared him as such. And so they feared him. Even though it says even the devils, they fear and tremble. Okay, so we ought to as well. And sometimes I think as humans, we're arrogant and we're smug and we tend to forget that God is our God. He is our Father and He's loving towards us, but He is still God. And sometimes I think we get flippant. I know myself, sometimes I get a little prideful and flippant about that. And He's God, you know. And we should still sit and work out our salvation, Philippians 2.12, in fear and trembling. All right. We're the temple of God. I, I really am sidetracked here. It was 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Let's try to get that out to Lauren. <laughs> Time. <laughs> there are lots I want to say on this, but I'm going to try and get back on track here. Um, I do actually want to tie this in. So we are the temple of God. Okay, and remember um, when I preached last time, we pro- preached on um, John 15, and it says that he is the, the vine and tells us to abide in him, and then he will abide in us. His word will abide in us. And if we're temples, then he'll abide in us. Right, we're, we're being built up. That wall is a picture of also us being built into that wall. So the, the uh, foundation is Jesus Christ. He's the head of the corner, the chief cornerstone, Right? And then it says that it builds the church on the apostles and the prophets. And get, then we're fitly joined together into that same building. Isn't that cool? We're built up in Christ to be his body, to be his temple wherein he will dwell. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands anymore, does he? He dwells inside of us. Thy word have I hidden my heart that I will not sin against thee. That's what I said earlier. Put God's word in your heart. And who's the word? Jesus. Jesus. So trusting in Jesus Christ and he will come and live in you and keep putting his word inside of you so that your faith grows. All right. If thou confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So he's about to go and die for our sins. And if you believe that God raised him from the dead, the Holy Ghost raised him up, you trust in him for that, then you can be saved. Okay? It's easy for us to assume that everybody sitting in a church is saved. But that doesn't mean that everybody sitting in a church is saved. Remember those wheat and tares? The tares and the wheat, they grow up together. They look the same, essentially, when they grow up, until the sun comes out, and a little heat and a little light comes out, and the wheat, they get gold. They actually look like the sun. But the tares go black. So then you can tell who's who. 
But while we're in church every day, we don't necessarily know. So I think it's important, no matter what, that we keep focusing on the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is that he paid the price for our sins. Let's rewind for a second. What are those sins? We broke the Ten Commandments, right? Lusted after things, stole things. We hated, which as Jesus said was murder. Uh, we coveted after things that we wanted. We told lies. We put ourselves before God. We put other things before God. We've built up idols in our lives. We've dishonored our parents. Missing one? We have dishonored, we've broken the Sabbath. That's all 10, I think, now. Got them. If you've done one of those, you've done all of them. So if you've done one, you have now sinned against a holy God, the God who created the universe. So what's the consequence of that? Death, which is? Yeah, you're going to go to the lake of fire. You're going to go to hell, and then subsequently the lake of fire. You're going to go before judgment, and that's eternal. Unless, unless somebody pulls out their wallet and pays your fine, right? If you, if you break the law, there's going to be consequences, and you go before a judge, and the judge is going to judge you, and there's consequences to that, the judgment hall that we're talking about. And so the consequence of one sin in our lives, one sin, because God's standard is infinitely high, is death for eternity. But if somebody else pays the price and dies in your place, pulling out their wallet, he's called our redeemer. What does it mean to redeem something? To buy something, right? Pull out a coupon or to redeem it, to buy it, to use it. Jesus did that. He, he died. He went to the heart of the earth. He rose again because he has power over death. And because of that, so do we. If you trust in him, repent of your sins, you're going to heaven with the Lord one day. If you haven't, if that's not what you've done, if you've been to church all of your life, then you're still just somebody who went to church all their life, sinned against God, and is destined for hell and the lake of fire. So I hope that you hope in Jesus Christ. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Will you have boldness when you're facing Jesus Christ on his high throne? How can you have that boldness? Your faith in him. Because he's redeemed you, and he's called you his own. And now you can have boldness in the day of judgment. And if you have not repented and trusted in Jesus Christ, you will not that will be a very fearful day. That's the church. What about everybody else out there right now who doesn't know Jesus? What about our neighbors, the people that we work with that go on their merry way? So many times I'm not talking about my faith of the people I'm working with, and they're all, all, I think everyone I work with probably right now, I've had believers working with me at times, but I think everyone right now is lost. And they need to know the truth of Jesus Christ. And the people that you work with need to know the truth. And the neighbors that you have need to know the truth. There's a celebration of Jesus' death and resurrection coming up, and it's on the calendar every year. And it's the perfect opportunity to start conversations 
about salvation with people. You can ask somebody, hey, do you think you're a good person? Ask them in love, not with smugness, but ask them if they think they're good, you're a good person. Guess what people like to talk about? They like to talk about themselves, don't they? You ask somebody about themselves, they'll tell you about themselves. So if you ask them if they think they're a good person, then you can ask them, do you want to take a good person test? And ask them if they've ever lusted after something or if they've ever stolen anything. doesn't matter how much value it was. Did they ever steal something? Have they ever told a lie? And then you can say, by your admission, you are a lying, thieving, lustful, or adulterer, or whatever. And usually there's a chuckle because a person goes, yeah, they just admitted it to you. They were honest. And in light of that, you can say, so on the day of judgment, what do you think will happen? Will you be innocent or guilty? And if a person says that they are guilty, their heart is softened. It's good soil. Remember the, the four soils? That's the good soil that the seeds will plant in. And a person who's willing to admit that, that softened soil, will accept the seeds of the Word of God. Now share with them the gospel finish the gospel, because this is all part of the gospel, and share, the, share your faith with them so that they can grow up 30, 60, 100-fold in faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Sorry for the big sidetrack, but I mean, that is, that is what it's all about. That's why Jesus is going there right now to the cross, isn't it? Guess what? Whoops. We get to be... Whoops. I did this in my class with this new remote, too. We get to be sealed against the wrath of God because we're not appointed unto wrath. We're not, as believers, appointed unto wrath. If you are not a believer, again, you're destined for wrath. Wrath is God pouring out all his anger and hate, uh uh-oh, God hate, (laughs) against sin. And if you haven't repented, you haven't been washed clean. And if you haven't been washed clean, that you're covered in sin. And what's God going to do to that sin? He's got to purify. He's got to put it into the fire. Right? It's got to go. But we are sealed against that. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you're sealed against that with the Holy Ghost. He comes into you when you believe, and he seals you. He says, you are a child of God. Used to be called a child of wrath. Now you're a child of God. Sons of God. Okay? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. He's going to create you new. Okay, back on track. So, we're still in verse 28. Um, It was early. I just think it's very interesting just to point out a a point on this verse, that these guys have not eaten the Passover yet. So the the Jews, the uh, specifically the elders and the the Pharisees and the high priests, haven't eaten this Passover meal yet, yet Jesus and his disciples already have. Then they went and retired in the garden. Jesus prayed for a few hours. Then they came and got him. And yet these guys still haven't eaten the Passover yet. And they're concerned about breaking tradition. But when are they going to eat the Passover? You know what it tells us? The Jews are late in the game. 
got 2,000 years of history of, of the Christian church, the Gentile church. And the Jews right now, it says in Romans 11.25, blindness in part has come to Israel. They can't see properly. We, we have two eyes. We have an Old Testament and a New Testament to see with and understand. The Jews can't see that. They, they, they're old. They can see the law, but they can't see the grace aspect of it. We got grace, and they can't see that yet. You know, Elisha, Elisha sees Elijah go up. He's raptured in front of him. He's going up in a chariot of fire. Isn't that cool? It's like a picture of what, what's going to happen for the church, right? They're going up. But it's not, it's not until Elisha sees him do that. He says, if you see me, you'll get your blessing. You, ask, you get what you ask for. And he asks for a double blessing. So Elisha gets his double blessing. Israel gets both eyes open when they see us go. So that's the redemption story for Israel. But it's, it's delayed. These guys, doctors of the law, the high priests, etc., represent Judaism. They're late. They're, they're not eating the Passover on time. They don't want to be defiled, and yet they've broken laws. It's, uh, um, can't remember, it's just Steve, right? Steve. Steve mentioned it last time. That they broke a number of laws. I think I've read up to 18. Of course, a lot of different opinions on how many laws they actually broke. But it seems that the Jews probably broke 18 laws between Mosaic laws, Levitical laws, etc., and some of the laws of the land that were put, imposed on them by the Romans, that they actually broke a number of laws to do it. So they're not wanting to be defiled, and yet that's what they, exactly they did. They defiled themselves um, to, to try and try Jesus out of their own jealousy, out of their own corruption. If you read this passage carefully, you'll notice that there's no accusation put forward other than to say... Uh, I have it here. Where did it go? I have it on the slide. I'll find it in a minute. They gave no actual, they accused, I'm sorry, but they had no actual, um, shoot, I can't remember the word I'm looking for. Yeah, they had, evidence was a trouble, but they had, hmm, I'll get to the slide. They accused, but they didn't have, um, Oh, shoot, I can't remember the word. And we'll get there. As accusers, though, who's the accuser of the brethren? Satan. So this is what they're doing. They're, they're standing in Satan's place, essentially accusing Jesus Christ, who is innocent, and they're fitting Satan's agenda and accusing him and falsely accusing him. So sitting in the place of the uh, accusers of the brethren. I'm going to skip my sidetrack there. No charges. Charges is the word. Like depth charges, no, not, not quite the same as depth charges. So what did they actually uh, bring up? They said, well, he perverted the nation. How did Jesus Christ, the pure Lamb of God, pervert the nation? He did not. Who was perverting the nation by heaping on traditions and voiding the law? It was the Pharisees and the high priests, etc., that were voiding the law and per, uh, perverting the nation. They accused him of forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, and yet what did Jesus stand up and say about the tribute? Render to Caesar. So he says, render to Caesar. They didn't like that. And then they falsely accuse him of saying the opposite. And then claiming to be king. Well, who accused him of being king more often than not? Right? Yeah. Actually, that demoniac, the guy who had the, the demons called Legion, referred to him as the son of God. 
Other people mostly called him the king. He called himself the son of man. When the son of man comes, when the son of man does this, and everybody else is calling him king, and yet it is his birthright. Who are the first people to call him king? Wise men from the east. Gentiles came over and called him king. Right? Jesus didn't stand up and say, oh, by the way, I'm, now I'm the king. <laughs> Worship me, now I'm the king. He, he said, he agreed that he's the son of God, but he didn't use those words, and they claimed that on him. So three things they claimed on him weren't real accusations, or weren't real charges, it's just they were accusations, they weren't real charges, and they couldn't get it together. They actually finally brought in some false accusers they're paying off to come in and make uh, false claims against him, false witnesses, two of them. There was a bunch of them that couldn't agree, and then the two stand up for him, they couldn't agree on anything. And then they call him a malefactor. See, uh, Pilate says to him, what's, the, what's his uh, charge? What's the accusation you're bringing against him? And they said, well, if he weren't a malefactor, if he wasn't a bad guy, we wouldn't have brought him to you. Imagine that in court today. Um, so, yeah, I don't like my neighbor, so I think you should put him in prison for a while or kill him. And they're gonna, so what do you do? Well, if it wasn't bad, I wouldn't have brought him here. It's just, it just seems very unfounded. The word malefactor is one who commits a crime, one guilty of violating the laws in such a manner as subject him to public prosecution and punishment, particularly to capital punishment. He's a criminal. Now, there are three malefactors, certainly, in this story. Two of them are going to be on the cross beside him, and one of them should have been on the cross instead of him. Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. He was between those two malefactors. I thought it was interesting, looking at the scripture here, that Jesus was numbered with the transgressors, transgressors, to, so that you can have your faith accounted as righteousness. Numbered, accounted. God of patterns. The God of order. Okay, unlawful to kill him. The, the Jews are told, just go do it yourself. Deal with it yourself. And they said, well, we can't do that. We're, it's not lawful for us to do it. Yet, didn't you notice there's several times where Jesus is preaching something and the Jews are about to pick up stones and throw them at him? And then one time even, he just like walks right through the group and they're just, they can't throw it at him. Who's in control of that? God is in control of it all, right? Everything on his timing is perfect. There's so many times in our lives where we don't like what's going on. There's tragedy happening and we just feel like, I don't like this. And yet... We have to remember, all of it's part of his big plan. And if we don't like it, we can talk to him about it, and he may change that, or he may keep it. Either way, it's part of his plan. And we submit to that, say, yes, Lord. Just like at the garden, Jesus said, take this cup from me, nevertheless, thy will be done, not mine. Uh, Pilate asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus flips it over with a question and asks him, uh, sayest thou this of thyself? Did you come up with this? 
Jesus didn't come in there saying, I'm the king of Jews. It's interesting that Pilate's really hung up on that. It was Gentiles that called him it first, and Pilate's a Gentile, and he's really hung up on this idea of him being a king. Was it unlawful to have a king under an emperor? No, there's plenty of countries underneath an emperor that would, be, that would have kings, so it's not something that Pilate really has to be concerned with so long as there's no insurrection or against Rome. But he seems to be hung up on it because he asks him again. And on him being a king of the Jew, what did Pilate stick on his cross? Right. All four Gospels say that. Not often do we have all four Gospels that say exactly or say the same statement. Most of the time, and recently that's all learned this, went through with an Excel sheet and put all the Gospels together in a synoptic or harmonic layout. And there's so many chunks. John just like misses a lot of the history and then focuses mostly on uh, different times and a lot on the end of what's going up leading up to the cross. And a lot of time, it's just two or three or sometimes one Gospel tells a parable or a story and no one else gets to talk about it. And right here, four Gospels mention that Jesus is the King of the Jews, King of the Jews, King of the Jews, right? And if you're ever struggling to put the four Gospels together, because it's not easy to put it all together, I'll tell you that, okay? But when you do, if you have trouble with it, it's going to give you a perspective that's far deeper than just what one person telling a story is telling. And if you add them up, you notice how Matthew says, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. But then Mark just says, the king of the Jews. Well, who's right? The answer is they're both right. Uh, Luke says, this is the king of the Jews. And John says, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. He added Nazareth to it. So what was the actual sign? This is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, king of the Jews. So if you put them all together they actually state what was on the cross, but everybody had a slightly different angle that they looked at that from, just like we have those two eyes again. Our two eyes look at the same object from two different angles and give us depth perception. So when you look at the different Gospels, it'll give you a four-dimensional view of what's going on. Can't remember why I put that in there. John eighteen thirty seven. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? And Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. Again, Pilate's focused on why is Jesus like he's the king? Is he a king? What's going on? Jesus says he's agreeing, he's standing up and witnessing now. Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end I was born. So why was Jesus sent to the world? The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus says that I should bear witness unto the truth. Jesus is a witness of truth. He is the truth. The gospel is the truth. Jesus is the word of God. And the word is divided into two witnesses, the Old and the New Testament. And Pilate asks, what is truth? It's a very interesting statement to ask, what is truth? Thy word is truth. 
That's Jesus. He's looking in the face of the man who is called the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And asking, what is truth? I don't know. I, I honestly think that he was asking a legitimate question. I don't know that he expected an answer, but I think that he was asked. That's just my perspective. Lauren, any thoughts? I think it could go either way, yeah. That's right. Yeah, and I think he was sincerely trying to show this man is innocent. Yeah, he says, um, he goes up before the Jews and they, they just keep railing on him and railing on him. He takes human pressure and follows the human pressure, even though his wife had the dream, even though he recognizes the man's innocent and still scourges him. That meant he had like beat on him with stripes. Not obviously personally, but he had his soldiers beat him and whip him in spite of the fact that he was innocent. And I think, probably hoping that, see, we've, we've, we've scourged him. Now let him go, right? Does that mean that he was, that Pilate at that point is saved? Or that he's um, a holy guy? Not at all. Okay, but he does, like uh, anybody now reading the gospel, recognize that Jesus was innocent. Okay, so I think he just recognized that. I don't know that it was sarcastic, but that, that you know, when, when you read that, ask, ask the Holy Spirit to show it to you. Give me wisdom in that, Lord. So God is true, every man a liar. Pilate's looking right in the face of truth. And the truth will make you free. Uh, who is it? Sorry, your uh, father-in-law. When I preached last time, he says, you forgot to mention the truth will make you free. So in John eight thirty to 32 and eight thirty six, Jesus says that the truth will make you free. And remember, you are a new creature if you're in Christ. And Jesus says, I make all things new. If I could tell you anything, I love chasing the words in the Bible. Like, to make or make, made or make. They build on each other. And Jesus says, I make all things new. How is he making you free? By his word. Right? That word. So you can see exactly how God's doing things throughout the entirety of Scripture, adding precept upon precept. When you start following words, when you start studying, why is this word used here, and it's used here, and it's used here? Follow the truth. Follow all these words when you study your Bible, and you start to learn so much about what the Scriptures have to say. Behold, I make all things new. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. I'm going to head my slides here. Oops. Pilate said unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said unto him, I find no fault in this man. And in other gospel, he's washing his hands. Like, I am, I'm not having anything to do with this. You guys deal with it now. John does not detail the part where Jesus is taken to Herod, but skips over it and lands back at the point where he is trying to acquit Jesus. 
When all four Gospels are compared together, there is a lot going down and much back and forth in conversation between Pilate and the Jews in his attempt to release Jesus. The Jews are, uh, are fiercely emphatic and have become thre- uh, threatened. The state that they will, they, oh, sorry, they state that they will bypass him and go to Caesar with accusations that Pilate is against Caesar. So they really lever him over saying, well, you don't support Caesar if you let this guy go. Pilate fears this and washes his hands and, commit, and commits uh, Jesus to the crucifixion. So in spite of the fact that he knows that Jesus was innocent, he still sent him. I've lost control. Are we frozen? Oh, okay. But you have a custom, and I... I the Jews constantly focus on their tradition. Do you remember when the Jews came to um, Jesus and said, so why do your disciples not wash their hands? And Jesus started talking all about tradition. And the Jews are so focused on tradition, even, even Pilate says, you guys have a custom. You have a tradition. It's a, all about tradition. Tradition. Isn't that what a, <laughs> what's the movie? Fiddler on the Roof? Tradition. Okay, so, in sort of a Ukrainian type accent. I don't know. Uh, so, and, <laughs> Anyway, uh, so they have, they have a tradition, and he says, you know, I'm going to release uh, some prisoner to you, because that's your tradition. And what does he do? He picks the worst prisoner ever, Barabbas. He's like, I'm going to take this guy that causes insurrection, and he's a murderer. He stinks before the people. They've got to pick Jesus out of this one, right? Which one's going to be released? Oh, I'm still out of control. Do you mind... And they pick wrong. Who do the Jews pick? They pick Barabbas. They choose Barabbas to be released. What does Barabbas mean? It's on my next slide. It means son of the father. Could you have another name that was more of a mockery of Jesus Christ? Jesus is the son of the father, and Barabbas has the name which means son of the father? If you find someone out there that has a name like Christ or calls himself such and people go look at the Christ over there who's that lo there's Christ there'll be many Christ many false Christ lo who is that that is antichrist that's a false Christ there's many antichrists and there'll be a antichrist and if they say look there he is Jesus says, don't believe them. Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, three times say, if they say, lo, there's Christ, don't believe them. That's not him. How do you know when it's Jesus that's coming? Yeah, he's in the clouds, riding on a white horse. He's coming down. We'll know. The whole world will see him. We'll know. But not to have somebody else go, oh, look, that guy. That's Christ. There's a lot of those out there. And there's probably a lot more coming. Okay, there's certainly one more coming. And this is just the type of him. Barabbas is an example. And who do the people choose? Not just the elite Jews. All the people out there crying, crucify Jesus. And they're choosing Antichrist. That's a warning about what's coming. People are going to choose Antichrist over Jesus Christ. And uh, 2 Thessalonians 2 says, 
that that wicked will be revealed before Jesus comes. So he will be revealed before Jesus comes. So it's good hope for us all. When they start, when they start saying, look, there he is, that's the guy, then we're like, oh, Jesus is coming soon. He's going to be taking us out of here. Woo! Okay? That's good hope for us. Stamp that on your hope. I'm not, I don't think I have time to read this. How are we doing? No, I'm beyond time. So, read Isaiah 43. I, I thought it was amazing. It's gospel in the Old Testament. And read through it and just see what pops out in that. I encourage you all to go home and read that. Thank you. Heavenly Father, um, sometimes uh, it's not easy to serve. And uh, I, I didn't feel very confident today. But I thank you that uh, regardless, your word goes out and uh, your truth is told. Thank you for this church. Thank you that we can all serve you. And I ask in Jesus' name that everyone would go out from here and they would sow seeds and they would tell the gospel truth. And if there's any here that don't know you, they haven't, they haven't given their life to you, I don't want them to stand before you one day saying, we, Lord, Lord, and have them say, I never knew you. So I ask in Jesus' name that everybody here, if they have not already, would give their lives to Jesus Christ. They would trust you, they repent of their sins, they would be born again. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.